Please turn with me in your Bibles uh, to our text this Lord's Day, as it's found in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Daniel 6, verses 1 through 10. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom an hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the kings should have no damage. Then, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion <clears throat> against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, <clears throat> the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he did aforetime. <clears throat> Conspiracy in high places against the righteous is not new and novel uh, to this day and age. You remember that Joseph was enslaved and <clears throat> sent to Egypt by way of an evil conspiracy, the conspiracy of his own brothers. David as well endured the conspiracy of his own son, Absalom, who sought the throne of Israel. There was a conspiracy among the priests and the prophets at the time of Jeremiah in seeking 
to follow their, their own institutions rather than the institutions God has established in worship <clears throat> and in religion. The Jews in Jerusalem sought to kill Paul. We see in the book of Acts by way of a secret conspiracy that bound them together by way of a vow that they had taken. But the ultimate conspiracy was plotted by the Jewish religious leaders joining together with Judas Iscariot to plot against the Lord Jesus Christ in order to destroy him. Dear ones, if conspiracies abounded against God's people, against the godly, throughout Scripture, which they did, are we who follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ, we who follow in the footsteps of those who followed the Lord Jesus Christ, will we be exempt ourselves from the conspiracies of the wicked in high places? Absolutely not. In fact, the scripture talks about and says that, that those who are conspirators against the wicked or against the righteous, they lay awake at night plotting to overcome Christ and his followers. Uh, they are willing to deprive themselves of, of sleep in order to form their conspiracies against God's people. We read in Proverbs 4.16, For they sleep not, except they have done mischief, and their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. Dear ones, we should <clears throat> neither hide our head in the sand, nor should we be consumed by the conspiracies of the wicked in high places. We need not fear or panic concerning the conspiracies of the wicked, for the Lord God himself will bring their conspiracies into his light at his time, and he will cause their conspiracies to fall upon their own heads. In Psalm 57, 6, David says, They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. The very pit that they conspired together for the righteous, the wicked have fallen into that very pit themselves by God's design. Psalm 33, verses 10 through 11. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. When they plot together their counsel, their conspiracies, he brings them to naught. He maketh the devices or the plots of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever the thoughts of his heart to all generations. That's why we need not fear. In fact, the Lord laughs at their conspiracies. Psalm 2, verses 11 through 
verses 1 through 5 says. They conspire together and God mocks them. God laughs at them because they seek to overthrow him, not just us. Ultimately, why they want to overthrow us is because they want to overthrow God, and God laughs at them at such plots and conspiracies that they could overthrow the mighty, the everlasting God. It is easy indeed to panic over the conspiracies of the wicked, even to the neglect of our own communion with Jesus, our King. It's easy to spend more time reading about all the conspiracies that abound, and no doubt many of them um, are true because uh, the conspirators don't hide uh, even what they are plotting and planning to do. But it's easy to be so filled with and reading continuously about the conspiracies that we spend more time in the conspiracies than in the word of God and in prayer, calling upon the living God who controls and brings all the conspiracies of the wicked to naught, to nothing. When Daniel faced the conspiracy of the wicked against him, he did not run in panic, <clears throat> but rather he found the peace of God that passeth all understanding and the power of God to face that conspiracy through his prayer and communion with the Almighty. The main points from our text today are these. First of all, <clears throat> Daniel's faithfulness sets the stage for a conspiracy. Daniel 6, 1 through 3. Second, the envy of the conspirators sets the plan into motion. In Daniel 6, 4 through 9. And the third main point, the conspiracy reveals Daniel's loyalty to the Lord. In Daniel 6.10. So the first main point, <clears throat> Daniel's faithfulness sets the stage for a conspiracy. Daniel 6 verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, <clears throat> and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Here we're introduced in verse 1 uh, to Darius the Mede. We were first introduced uh, to him in the previous chapter, the last two verses of the previous chapter, where it says in verses 30 and 31, in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain, and Darius the Median 
took the kingdom being about three score and two years old. Darius was likely appointed by Cyrus. Cyrus was a Persian. Darius was a Mede. So this probably, since this was a union of the the Medo-Persians to form this empire, Cyrus appointed, it would appear, Darius to rule over what was formerly the Babylonian kingdom. Cyrus had rule ultimately over everything, but under him, he apparently appointed Darius uh, to rule over Babylon and over uh, the part of the Babylonian kingdom that formerly was a part of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and the kings that followed after him. This Darius, as we noted in the last sermon, is likely the same person uh, that the historian Xenophon called Gorborus. And uh, this particular name, again, we don't find uh, Darius um, uh, mentioned as being a ruler at this time in various historical records, but this other individual that I just mentioned in, uh, by the historian Xenophon is one who was appointed to rule over uh, Babylon at that particular time after Cyrus conquered Babylon. And so it's likely the same individual, but just a different name, which was very common uh, at that time that uh, rulers did have more than one name. In setting up the rule of the Medes and Persians over the Babylonian kingdom, Darius appointed here 120 princes to rule under him uh, over various parts of the kingdom. And they reported then to three presidents um, who were likewise appointed by Darius, who then reported directly to Darius. It says, among whom Daniel was first. Probably again in verse 2, uh, among whom Daniel was first, uh, is a better translation uh, would be among whom Daniel was one. He was one of them. Because uh, it doesn't appear he was yet first among them. That was a part of a plan that Darius had proposed, we see in verse 3, and the king, at the end of verse 3, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So he was not yet set above the other uh, two presidents, but he was one of the presidents, but that appeared to be part of what Darius planned to do, which becomes... Uh, Uh, the reason for this conspiracy. Uh, That was what Darius planned to do. The plan of Darius to promote Daniel uh, was not a whim on his part, but it was based upon the excellent spirit that Daniel possessed in exercising all the duties and responsibilities that were given to him. It says in verse 3, because an excellent spirit was in him. 
that he was preferred by the king above the other presidents because an excellent spirit was in him. Even heathen kings saw here, whether it was Nebuchadnezzar, whether it was Belshazzar at the end of his life, or here, Darius, heathen kings saw the benefit to themselves to have such a man like Daniel, a faithful, honest man of integrity serving them. <clears throat> Darius could not deny the diligence and the faithfulness and the excellence of the work that Daniel did. It's very similar to the case of, of Joseph. Joseph was uh, sold into slavery and made the master, uh, or made, uh, again, the chief servant, the steward of his master's household, rose up uh, from the lowly, lowliest of ranks. Then he was, he was lied about, cast into prison. And again, he rose from being uh, the lowliest uh, to having the greatest responsibility within the prison. And then he was appointed to rule uh, over uh, all of Egypt under uh, Pharaoh. <clears throat> and so we see this pattern. Faithful when lowly, faithful when exalted. Faithful in little, faithful in much. This is the biblical principle. That's not only true of Daniel. That's not only true of Joseph. That's true for all of us. Daniel was not a young man at this time, and yet his age did not hinder his faithfulness. He was an older man. Uh, if he was about 15 years of age when he was originally taken captive from Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, this is 70 years later. He is now about 85 years old, but his age did not in any way hinder his faithfulness, his diligence, his care for the work that was given to him. It was, it was a part of his life. It was built into him by God's grace to be faithful in everything that was given to him, to be faithful with it. Diligence and faithfulness was what characterized Daniel before God and before man. And so, by way of exhortation uh, to you, God's people, do not despise or minimize the work that you presently have to do. Whether you are still at home and it's the daily chores that you have to do, do not despise or minimize what you are called to do. Or whether it is that you are out of, out of home, the home now and you are on your own, do not despise the work that you're called to do. Whether it's work around the house, whether it's grunt work uh, uh, outside the house, whether it's starting at the lowliest position in the company, 
Do not despise what work you've been given to do. Do not be sloppy with the work that God gives you to do because that's who, give, who has given you that work. Whatever you are doing, you've been called to do, it's God that has given that to you to do. Learn from the time of your youth to do a good job, a faithful job, at whatever you are given to do. Do not minimize any job that God gives to you to do. Don't be careless with it. Don't be flippant. Don't be dishonest in the work you are called to do. And don't do it simply to please man. While your parents are watching you, that you're diligent, but when they walk out or when your boss leaves and he's not watching you, that you do whatever you want to do. Because you're not doing it as a Christian simply to please man. You're doing it in order to please God who sees all and knows all. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, <clears throat> Paul is speaking to the Ephesians and he addresses those who are servants. And he tells them with regard to their masters how they're to serve their masters, and he says, not with eye service while your master is watching you, simply when he is watching you, as men pleasers, simply to please man, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, from the heart, because you want to please God, you want to do the best job you can for God, for God. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing, and here's the reward, here's the blessing. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. God will bless you if you do it unto him and to his glory. Because he's watching. And so learn diligence and faithfulness in all that you do. And God will bless you. The second main point, the envy of the conspirators sets the plan into motion. Verses 4 through 9. Daniel 6, 4 through 9. <clears throat> Then the presidents and princes <clears throat> sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could not find, or they, but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, 
the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. The other two presidents, along with Daniel being the third, and the princes, the 120 princes, had likely heard that Darius planned to promote Daniel to set him uh, over the kingdom, immediately beneath him, the king. And they were not about uh, to allow that to happen if they could prevent it. They envied the gifts and the graces God had given unto Daniel. Dear ones, envy is a very great sin against God and against man. Proverbs 27.4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Why is envy considered a more grievous sin than one who is filled with anger or wrath? Well, let's consider for a moment what envy is, and then I think we'll better understand why envy is such a grievous sin before God. I want to just discuss three oftentimes related words and distinguish between them. Jealousy, covetousness, and envy. Jealousy is possessive and selfishly does not want to share what it has with others. Jealousy's mantra is, it's mine. You can't have it. It's mine. Covetousness sinfully desires what belongs to others and will not be content until it has it. The mantra for covetousness, I have to have it. I've got to have it. But envy not only desires what belongs to others, but goes beyond that to hate them for what they have, whether it's gifts or graces or successes or possessions or uh, promotions, or whether it's their own family members, their husband or their wife. And envy wishes, it speaks, and it acts to destroy 
others in order to gain what others have. If I can't have it, this is the mantra of envy. If I can't have it, you're not going to have it either. Pilate, as Jesus was being tried, Pilate, we read, knew that the Jews had delivered Jesus over unto him to be tried because of their envy. They not only wanted the following of Jesus, they not only wanted the charisma of Jesus, the gifts and graces of Jesus, they wanted Jesus to be out of the picture altogether. They wanted him destroyed. Mark 15.10, it says, For he, that is Pilate, knew that the chief priests had delivered him, that is Jesus, for envy. For envy. You see, envy is quite the opposite of charity, of love, the love of Christ, uh, agape, as it's, as it is related in the Greek language, and particularly in 1 Corinthians 13.4, wherein the Apostle Paul is describing the character of charity, of agape, of the love of Christ, and he says that charity envieth not. Charity is not filled with envy. Charity is sacrificial and being willing to give to others what one has in order to help, to assist, in order to sacrifice one's life even for another, as Jesus did. Covetousness merely consumes oneself. I've got to have it. But envy consumes others. Envy, dear ones, is cannibalistic. It feeds on others. It eats one another's by way of its thoughts, by way of its attitudes, by way of its words, by way of its deeds. It tears others to pieces because it not only wants what they have, it wants them out of the picture. These conspirators not only hated Daniel, we, we see here, but they, they really envied him. And that was the motivation for wanting him destroyed. They not only wanted his position of power, they wanted to see him, again, not even alive. They envied his excellent spirit. They envied his exaltation, his advancement, his promotion, or at least the one that was being considered by Darius. After all, Daniel was not either a Mede or a Persian, but a lowly Jew who'd been brought from captivity to Babylon. And he didn't even worship the gods 
of the Medes and the Persians, that he worshipped this foreign god. But it was the faithfulness and it was the promotion of Daniel or the contemplated promotion of Daniel that was a threat to the wicked. Daniel must be destroyed. You see, dear ones, <clears throat> faithful Christians are always a threat to the agenda of the wicked. Therefore, conspiracies to get rid of them abound. Faithful Christians, dear ones, are a threat to the agenda of the wicked because faithful Christians will serve King Jesus supremely over all rulers. They will not be, they will refuse to be programmed like little robots, simply to follow the will and the whim of whoever is in power. Faithful Christians will honor God's holy commandments over the whims of popular culture and over man-made laws that violate God's law. Faithful Christians proclaim an exclusive Jesus, an exclusive gospel, an exclusive truth as the only way, the only truth, and the only life to the Father. Faithful Christians will not follow the, the multitude to do evil. And that is why faithful Christians are a threat to the wicked and to their plots and to their plans. And why, according to conspirators, wicked conspirators, that is why, in their judgment, faithful Christians must be neutralized and must be removed. They must be destroyed. We're called because we would seek to follow Christ. We're the ones that are said to be causing trouble. We're the troublemakers. Well, that's exactly what Ahab said to Elijah. When Elijah confronted wicked King Ahab with his breaking of God's covenant and breaking of God's commandments in 1 Kings 18, 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Because God had sent a three and a half year famine into the land of Israel. Due to the sin, the wickedness of Ahab and to Israel and following their own false gods and turning away from the one true living God. And yet, Ahab says that Elijah is the one that's troubling Israel. And Elijah re retorts, I'm not the one who's troubling Israel, but it is you, Ahab, 
that is troubling Israel because you have turned away from the one true living God. You are breaking God's covenant and God's commandments. And God has brought this judgment upon Israel. The wicked presidents and princes. Here we read, <clears throat> thoroughly examined all of Daniel's duties, all of his relationships that were related to his work. In verse 4. <clears throat> and as they did so, they didn't leave any stone unturned. They followed up on all the leads because they were desperate to find something, something, anything that they could accuse Daniel for. But the more they searched, the more they investigated, the more they examined and scrutinized Daniel the more they found in all of the ways that he performed his duties and the relationships that he had, that he was honest, that he was faithful, that he was fair, and he was good to people, even his enemies, good to even his enemies that hated him. And they could not find anything by which to accuse him. Even his enemies couldn't. Reminds me again of what the Apostle Paul says to Titus, the young minister, <coughs> Titus, in that epistle of Paul to Titus in chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. Speaking to Titus, he says, In all things, Showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part, in other words, those who are opposed to you, those who make themselves your enemies, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you at least no evil thing that will actually be substantiated. People can say evil things all the time, but as far as accusations that actually have evidence, again, that's how Paul says Titus, and that's how, by extension, Paul says ministers, and even further extension, more generally, how we all should live our lives that if our enemies began to look very closely at our lives, that they would be ashamed because they cannot find what they're looking for. That's not, again, the work of man. That's the work of God's grace within Daniel. It's not because Daniel in and of himself was so good and was so righteous and so holy. It was because God had worked such grace within Daniel. And dear ones, when we see and we examine ourselves and our lives, that's why it's so important for us to be honest before God and ask him to search us. Call upon, uh, upon him to see into our innermost being, to know our thoughts. He does know them and not to hide anything from him. 
It's so important that we understand that because that's what's going to drive us when we do that type of examination. That's what's going to drive us to the Lord Jesus. That's what's going to drive us to see we can't do this on our own. We will all fall so far short apart from the grace of God and sanctifying us. The grace of God and working his power of his spirit within us to change and to transform our lives and to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. That's not the work of man. It's not that we don't, uh, by way of God's grace, doesn't mean we do nothing, but it's God who works within us, both to will and to do his good pleasure. He receives the glory. We don't pat ourselves on the back, nor could Daniel pat himself on the back. It was God that had worked that grace within him. What would turn up, I wonder, in our lives if we were to be so thoroughly examined by our enemies, by those who hate us and despise us? What would they find about us from talking, say, with family members, talking with friends, talking with co-workers. What would they find out about us? How we behave around different people. Would they be able to find all manner of fault and error if they did that type of a, an examination of our lives? Our enemies did that type of an examination of our lives as happened to Daniel and most importantly, again, what does God himself hear and see in our lives? Dear ones, this is not intended to make us feel bad. These things are not intended to just to make us feel lowly, bad. These things are said in order to drive us to Jesus Christ because he alone can help us. He alone can strengthen us. He alone can sanctify us. Well, these wicked conspirators <clears throat> know that the only place that they might accuse Daniel would be in matters related to God's law, God's holy law, for they knew that Daniel would rather suffer the loss of all things, even the loss of his own life, in order to be faithful to the Lord, <clears throat> than to disobey, to break one of God's commandments, to be unfaithful to the Lord and his commandments. So they say in verse 5, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against them concerning the law of his God. So that's where they go. They conspire together <clears throat> to find something with regard to Daniel's faith and religion, his commitment to Christ, which, uh, which indicates if they had concluded that about Daniel, we'll only find a charge. We'll only find something that appears 
with regard to uh, his religious convictions certainly implies that Daniel was a faithful witness to these people. They could only know that from knowing that what Daniel had said about the one true living God. And so he was not one who hid his faith, even in a heathen kingdom and even serving in, uh, in the royal court. He didn't hide his faith. And so they conspired together to bring to King Darius a wicked man-made law that would surely ensnare Daniel so that they might be done with Daniel forever in verse 6. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. In other words, long live the king. <clears throat> and then the law is stated in verse 7 that they are proposing. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. <clears throat> and so this particular law, uh, though it's applied to all religions, uh, all people, uh, it's, it's pretty clear uh, that this is specifically designated uh, uh, for Daniel. They're not uh, uh, snooping on anybody else. They're not trying to see if anybody else has violated this law. They, everybody else might have said, this is a ridiculous law. You know, we're, we're going to ask a petition of whomever we want to ask. Uh, but all they cared about was Daniel. They had to make it that kind of a universal law, otherwise Darius would not have signed it if it was only uh, with regard to Daniel's faith, only Daniel's religion, because he had confidence in Daniel. So they had to make it uh, that general uh, in its, in its uh, approach. So here was a law that would accomplish basically two objectives. <clears throat> first of all, first objective, it would flatter the king and thereby put them in uh, the favor and the good graces of the king so as to be promoted uh, after Daniel was gone. Uh, they were uh, flattering the king. Well, only through you, O king, should any petition or request be made for the next 30 days. They're building up the king. They're making the king, again, divine. Um, and so they're, uh, this is flattery on their part. So they wanted to be in the good graces of, of the king. So when Daniel was gone, uh, they would be able to receive, again, the the benefits of having flattered the king. But the second objective, again, very obviously, uh, would be to bring Daniel under condemnation and 
eventually, uh, soon afterward, death in the lion's den. Uh, they didn't simply want him to, to be condemned uh, by, of having broken the law, but the part of that law was that those who broke it would be cast into the lion's den. No doubt they thought uh, that this was the perfect conspiracy. It would attain, obtain the favor of the king through flattery, and it would do away with Daniel. Moreover, if the king signed it, there would be no way to revoke it, for such was the permanence of the law, the laws of the Medes and the Persians, according to verse 8. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Even the king himself was not able to revoke the law once it was signed. There was no court of appeal. There was only God's moral law. Only God's moral law is truly irrevocable. <clears throat> there is no court of appeal to God's moral law. God's law does not change. God's law does not alter. The laws of men are changeable as they reflect culture, as they reflect the attitudes of people living at that time. The, lo the laws of men certainly are alterable and changeable. Laws that are based upon the unchangeable moral law of God are likewise unchangeable. And therefore, laws that were established long ago in any nation that were based upon God's moral law ought not to be changed to make them more suitable for modern culture. That's not true of God's law. Truly, only his law is unalterable. Because God is the expression. God is perfect righteousness. And his law is the expression of that perfect righteousness. And therefore, since God does not change, his moral law does not change. We can count on that to be the case. That's why his law ought to be the standard for all of our laws. Well, the king signed it. And it became the irrevocable law of the Medes and Persians in verse 9. For wherefore King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Third main point is this. The conspiracy reveals Daniel's loyalty to the Lord in verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed... He went into his house, and his windows being open, and his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed, and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. <clears throat> Once Daniel learns <clears throat> that this decree is signed by the king, he doesn't go into a hidden room uh, somewhere in his dwelling some, some uh, place where he cannot be seen in order to pray. 
he doesn't change his posture uh, to sitting and turning away from the window so they can't see whether he's praying or whatever he's doing. Uh, he doesn't change his posture in order to avoid detection. He does not discontinue to pray out of submission to the king's wicked decree. See, Daniel most likely knew that this law was framed by those who hated him. And they were moved by envy to destroy him. If Daniel changed his ordinary worship practice and his home in the least, it would mean that he had done so out of fear of man, out of fear of the consequences that he would suffer from the king and his testimony then for the Lord would have been destroyed. Not that changing uh, the place where one prays or not that changing the posture in which one prays is sinful in itself. That's not the issue. The issue was simply if he had changed, it would have been due to the king's decree. And Daniel could not do that. Daniel could not comply with that. Thus Daniel refused to comply with the decree of the king because the decree of the king of kings, the Lord Jesus, was of supreme authority. And a prohibition against the worship of God must be disobeyed. Prohibition against the worship of the living God and what he has authorized and what he has commanded must be disobeyed. Resistance to tyranny is obedience to God, which is attributed to John Knox. Daniel did, interestingly, Daniel did not gather the Jews together throughout Babylon and form a protest and march to the, to the uh, courtyard, the throne yard, uh, against this unlawful decree. Uh, he did not immediately himself individually march into the throne room of the king and testify against the law, the wicked law that had been established. Now, he might have done so. I don't believe there had been anything immoral or unlawful if he had chosen to do so. Certainly, uh, prophets in the Old Testament uh, had likewise in Jesus himself before the rulers uh, at that time had testified against wicked kings. Elijah testified against Ahab. Moses testified against Pharaoh. Uh, again, it would not have been unlawful, but rather he privately refused to comply with the decree, even though he knew the consequences that would follow him being cast into the lion's den. 
I think this helps us to understand that there are various ways to protest against tyranny and to resist tyranny. There's not only one way to do it. There are various ways. And Daniel exercised one of those ways by simply going back to his room and continuing his ordinary practice of praying three times a day with the window opened, kneeling, praying toward Jerusalem, which was simply an indication that God was going to restore Jerusalem and the temple there, which had been destroyed by the Babylonians. You see, resistance to tyranny at times may simply be an unwillingness to obey and comply with unlawful commands, as was the case here with Daniel. In certain situations, it is even lawful to flee from tyranny and persecution. <clears throat> Matthew 10.23 but when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another, Jesus says. Flee into another city. And I say this, <clears throat> I think it's very important, not only to speak to the church in general, to the congregation in general, but to, to say <clears throat> to us as, as ministers, Faithful ministers, for faithful ministers, such fleeing must not be out of fear for one's life. Fleeing must not be interpreted as forsaking the sheep, but rather as moving elsewhere in order to minister to the sheep. Going elsewhere, that's what, again, our faithful forefathers, the covenanters, when they were preaching in the fields and they were chased like animals, they didn't flee the civil authorities because they feared for their life or because they were abandoning the sheep. They went to another location so they could preach to the sheep on another day. And then they would go back to the same location from which they had fled at another time. And so they moved around and they stayed out of the grasp as long as they could providentially because they cared for the sheep, because they wouldn't abandon the sheep. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 12 through 13, he that is an hireling, just a hired servant to take care of the sheep. He that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. Not true of the shepherd. Not true of a faithful shepherd. A faithful shepherd will not abandon the sheep. 
even in the midst of danger. Just as the good shepherd Jesus did not flee and abandon the sheep during his suffering, so likewise he'll not do so now. So a faithful shepherd of Jesus Christ will not flee and abandon his sheep in the midst of suffering. If he removes himself from one location to another, it is in order to better serve the sheep on the following day at another time. What a deplorable testimony it is for the shepherd to abandon the sheep so that the sheep bear the consequences of a faithful testimony for Jesus Christ. That a faithful shepherd, dear ones, cannot do and will not do because the shepherd and the sheep and the lambs they are bound together by covenant. And we cannot abandon those to whom we are bound by covenant. We're bound together in the bonds of Christ's love to one another. Daniel did not abandon Christ or Christ's testimony. He did not abandon Christ's sheep Christ's lambs in this conspiracy, even though it meant the lion's den. God help us as ministers, as elders, deacons. God help us to be faithful and help us all to be faithful to the Lord Jesus, even unto death. Amen. Please stand with me in prayer. These are perilous times, Lord, in which we live. And yet, Lord, uh, not new for, for the church that would seek to be faithful because history, biblical history, history outside of the scriptures is filled. <clears throat> and even presently, we see... Uh, by people standing for uh, the Lord Jesus and truth and righteousness for the gospel of Jesus Christ and being willing to suffer and ministers who will not abandon the flock. Lord, uh, may we be brought to be ashamed of the way uh, that, Lord, we have fought in any way of abandoning Christ abandoning the truth of Christ, the testimony that's found in Scripture and has been born by those who followed Christ throughout history. We pray, our Father, that Thou would, would uh, again remind us of the faithfulness of Daniel, but mostly and even more so the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ who did not abandon us and 
has never abandoned us. Lord, we thank thee and praise thee for our Savior, for his grace and mercy to us in saving and rescuing us who are so undeserving, who have demonstrated, oh God, uh, fear of man, fear of circumstances, who have worried about conspiracies to such a point that we are in panic and fear. Lord, we pray that the wicked conspiracies of the wicked, Lord, would uh, only reveal our loyalty to thee and that thou would therefore bring great glory to thyself because that loyalty is seen and we are again assured that the conspiracies of the wicked will fall upon their own heads. Thou wilt bring the counsel of the heathen to naught. Thou just make the devices and the plots of the, of, the, of the people to be of none effect. We commit ourselves to thee, our God, in whose name we pray. Amen.